Hello and welcome back for another podcast episode of Isidro Magazine. My name is Emre Schentürk. I'm the host of the show and also founder of Isidro Magazine. Um, Isidro Magazine, for all of you who don't know uh, what it is yet, it is an online magazine for political and societal analysis. Isidro.com is where you find my articles that I've wrote over the last couple of years. And um, yeah, uh, When we talk about uh, writing, also keep in mind, David, the links are below my book. I published it last year, available um, yeah, as softcover and hardcover as well. But yeah, <laughs> enough, uh, enough advertising um, for all the written content that, that I have. And uh, let's switch to the talk. And uh, today's episode is go uh, going to be about the global economy. Or um, more specifically, if we are at all the discussion, whether we are entering a new economic era. Um, right up front, yes, I think we are entering a new economic era. I think um, we have quite some significant challenges ahead. And these are going to uh, shape how economic conduct um, is going to be in the next couple of uh, decades, uh, or at least the next one or two decades. It's not on the level, I think, at least... Um, Yeah, of of uh, industrialization or kind of um, a very uh, <coughs> um, very long term um, switch, but it is a distinctively uh, different era in my opinion. And um, in order to kind of put this into perspective, um, I would like to first of all start to summarize um, the economic eras that we had over the last um, century, basically, right. So um, during the First World War, obviously the pre-industrial, the, the time uh, leading up to the First World War was um, an industrial era, yeah, basically um, characterized by, by heavy industry. Then uh, obviously the uh, war, uh, war economic era was again focused on heavy industry and um, developing um, machinery, uh, war machinery. Then we had the reconstruction and this kind of, you know, uh, was also repeated during the Second World War. And after the Second World War, we had an economic situation where the era up until 1970 was characterized by two models, um, as we know, during the Cold War with um, the, yeah, the plant economy and obviously those uh, countries who were in the, in the Eastern Bloc did not... Uh, participate to that uh, degree with yeah, the global, uh, with the other global players, and um, therefore they were kind of isolated, you know, and then confined to themselves. On the other hand, we had the Western, um, the Western um, industrialized or industrializing economies, because at that time, you know, they also needed to reconstruct, and and slowly were getting, um, yeah, getting to to develop uh, much of what we have today. But we also had the third branch, um, namely the the newly uh, emerging states who first of all tried to build up their economy from scratch, kind of, um, when we think about many Asian and, and African countries, as well as Latin American countries, that yeah, just um, became independent and um, then started to yeah, build their economies from scratch. <coughs> <clears throat> Why do I say 1970? Um, um, it is because at that point the Bretton Woods system ended, so the global 
um, or yeah, the global currencies uh, tied to the uh, to gold and the exchange rates um, fixed um, to one another uh, was not upholdable uh, at that point any longer. So basically, with the Western financial system and the Western um, economic system abandoning fixed exchange rates, all the other economies were also affected. So this was kind of a break. It was a very uh, significant switch um, in, the, in the world economy. I would say one of the more uh, yeah, notable um, developments. Um, nothing good or bad uh, inherently attached to that. Um, but just we need to accept that this was a very uh, significant uh, turning point and enabled globalization and the financial integration um, of uh, many economies on the global scale. And this was a very, yeah, this was a very significant uh, starting point for all of what we know uh, in the financial system today. So until, um, but I think uh, until the 1990s, um, it was um, just yeah slowly building up, and uh, yeah, the, the fundament for establishing a global economy was laid up until 1990, and from that point on, uh, when we had many financial uh, innovations as well as the emergence of the internet, we entered a whole new economic era because then growth accelerated and the financial markets basically started to explode. Yeah, we had this, um, this uh, dot-com bubble in the early uh, 2000s, and, uh, but I wouldn't say that this marked um, a yeah, specifically uh, different era. It kind of uh, intensified or yeah, kind of... Uh, influence certain dynamics that we had uh, from the mid 1990s until um, today but i think uh, this was the more remarkable change so when we think about kind of making cut and thinking about a new economic era i think the uh, corona crisis is a very prominent example or prominent uh, moment in economic history which i think um, led to kind of us leaving this uh, this growth phase yeah, of um, early globalization um, economics behind us and entering a new stage. So why is that? Um, with the corona crisis, it is not kind of the characteristic of having a global pandemic that made a cut, a visible cut in economic conduct, but um, it is rather the nature of how it did it. Because... Up until then, the economic, uh, yeah, the, the assumption of um, economists was that demand kind of is the growth, the only or main growth factor um, or driver of, of economies. Meaning that as long as we have a high demand, um, economies are able to to grow and to, to develop um, basically without boundaries. Therefore, yeah, with this economic uh, assumption that we solely need to focus on demand obviously the corona crisis um, affected economic thinking in that way that when people are at home during the lockdowns the demand decreases so they are not demanding as many goods and services um, as before meaning that when you have this thinking that demand is the only and main growth driver of uh, economies, that you will have to find a way to kind of keep those people um, in the lockdowns because that was the um, political uh, response to that um, pandemic. 
but also keep up the demand. And therefore, what happened is that politics, and you can see this in many countries where all the uh, interest rates were lowered at that time, as well as incentives um, and also payments were made to citizens, um, huge amounts of sums. And then obviously you had a very expansionary monetary policy. And this is what people say, oh, the central banks are printing money. Um, I totally reject that statement because this is, yeah, this is a very yeah, childish argument to say that there are people sitting in central banks and they have nothing to do but to print money in order to harm um, yeah, the, the citizens. This is, uh, yeah, this is insane to, to believe that. Um, but yes, they, uh, they had an expansionary monetary policy, but just because of the assumption that demand is uh, actually accelerating growth and they feared that demand might drop and therefore we would um, yeah, fall into crisis. But what happened in reality is that yeah, demand um, the aggregate demand didn't actually decrease. It just changed its uh, its form. People were still buying and people were still uh, spending, but on different things. Obviously not on social activities, but they started to buy furniture, build things at home, and so on and so forth. You know, they spent money on, on uh, hobbies, um, cameras, instruments, whatever. So the demand was there and the spending was there, but now we also had all the money in the system. And then the problem came in, and people uh, might notice this, you know, the, the topic of supply chain, etc., etc. The problem with all the supply chain crisis that we encountered a couple of months, months after um, the corona crisis, or let's say in mid-2021, was caused by... Uh, macroeconomic policy uh, policy making that was focused too much on demand and not on supply meaning they tried to bolster demand because they thought it's going to drop it didn't drop so it stayed um, stayed up and then with this level they also increased the money supply to the demand side so the demand even increased but on the other side supply stayed steady and they couldn't keep up with demand so you know what's happening with uh, in this situation, we will have uh, inflation. Yeah, we have a, a discrepancy, and therefore uh, the prices went up, and the problem was was mainly caused just because the supply side um, wasn't yeah sufficiently uh, sufficiently kind of supportable money. And today we are seeing this because we are having high inflation. Um, they try to tackle it, uh, the central banks try to tackle it with, with interest rate uh, hikes, which is, uh, I think, the wrong decision. And you can also see it in the low unemployment numbers throughout many, many countries because, yeah, the, the producers, they need to produce, but they don't have the capacity and the facilities and the manpower to do it to satisfy demand. And up until that point where this is going to happen, where supply increases, inflation will have drawn uh, back the um, demand curve and might even, this might be even lower than, than supply at that time and then we'll um, basically enter into a recession, yeah, what we call a recession. And um, amidst all that, the Ukraine conflict obviously um, yeah, kind of 
put a lot of pressure on commodity prices. So um, this made the whole situation even yeah, more complex and more difficult. And in terms of thinking um, about a new economic era, this is the entry gate because up until then we thought about demand as the main um, yeah, factor that is um, yeah, that our economies are basically built on. But now we'll have to rethink and also yeah, put the supply side, the producers, more into focus and um, also think about how to achieve a sustaining balance between demand and supply. Because the interplay is very important. You cannot say, and this is why I love technocratic policymaking and, and thinking about these things in techn uh, technocratic terms, is that you cannot just say, well, this worked once and in this situation it was great with all the demand and we can do this um, yeah, for the next couple of uh, decades and totally ignore the other side because everything kind of stays in balance and needs to stay in balance in order to um, kind of move, uh, move forward efficiently with um, as minimum downside risk as possible. So I think the starting point of this new era is going to be that we focus more on the supply side and also think about how we can achieve a sustaining balance that uh, politics uh, does not turn um, a blind uh, eye on one of the two sides that make up economies and efficient policy making uh, within that realm. And then the current situation is obviously that we have um, high inflation and yeah, spending naturally goes down. We have high commodity prices. Uh, and the problem is also with the commodity prices, whether we're talking about gas, oil, um, and um, yeah, let's say uh, building construction uh, materials, etc., etc. Most of the producers uh, they know that the customers are used to higher prices, and um, accordingly, when when most of the uh, the prices uh, sink, um, they will not, to the full extent, uh, also reduce their prices to that point uh, that we are yeah that we are back to to pre pandemic levels right um the best best example is probably natural gas uh currently natural gas is way below uh, 2019 levels um as well as oil um, oil is uh, crude oil i think is somewhat around 2000 uh, pre 2020 levels so yeah i think um producers they kind of um, know how to make profit out of this so st spending stays up and uh, wages um, are still quite quite low um, but on the other side unemployment is also quite low i think um, this is one of the main points that also politics will uh, keep an eye on because commodity prices are very very important to producers um, Yes, they are not fully, um, they, they have some kind of profit margins that they are um, exploiting and making profit, uh, profit uh, out of it. But uh, in the end, for sustainable growth, commodity prices need to be low, but they also need to be um, kind of in a, yeah, extracted in a, in a sustainable way. And what we've seen in the political uh, arena is that many countries were reliant on um, one or two major players uh, in whatever resource they needed to obtain and obviously they didn't have diversified 
um, supply pool that they can draw from. So the point is um, that many countries will uh, inevitably uh, or even started obviously already um, to rethink yeah, who they are working with. And we can see this uh, pretty much with Saudi Arabia. Um, Saudi Arabia over the last two or three decades was more or less a protectorate of the United States. It was more or less um, an extended arm of the United States. And today um, Saudi Arabia is looking for other cooperation partners, for example, China. And just recently, um, yeah, uh, is in talks with with Iran again um, and they are diplomatically in contact again um, after a very long time so Saudi Arabia is looking for other customers for uh, for its oil and technology because they are making a transition from a very resource oriented um, economy to a more diversified um, economic uh, setting yeah, domestically and other countries doing this as well many countries um, do not want to be reliant on, on Russia um, in terms of gas uh, or oil. Other countries do not want to be uh, dependent on, on, on China or the United States or whatever country. So there's kind of a reshuffling. Everyone is thinking, who can I work with? How can I diversify where I get my, my resources and services from? And this is a very interesting process because this is actually how economics should be. You know, it should be a more, and this is the idea of capitalism and, and free market economy to see where the best synergies are and where uh, we can work best together. I think the Chinese are doing this uh, quite well for the last couple of decades because they're kind of uh, economically colonializing, uh, colonizing, uh, sorry, um, the, the African continent, uh, building harbors and extracting massive amounts of value from that without interfering socially with all those uh, societies, which is, um, I think, a win-win situation for both of them. So there is a reshuffling, there's a rethinking, and especially Western countries yeah, kind of need to get out of, the, out of their com uh, comfort zone to think about who, who they can work best with and also accept the terms that are laid upon them because countries are not that weak anymore. For example, for example Saudi Arabia is not that weak um, and uh, Dubai, uh, India is not that weak any longer. Um, Turkey is uh, very strong. And uh, Latin American countries, Argentina, even though they have economic crisis, Argentina and Turkey, um, they are politically strong. Uh, Brazil, and they can lay terms in, in trade relations. We see uh, Britain after Brexit going around and, and looking for uh, yeah, lucrative uh, free trade agreements and uh, kind of negotiating tariffs and, and customs uh, to very low levels. They're very efficient in doing that. So there's a political reshuffling on yeah, the global scale, on the global economy. And I really like this development because this, you know, this is kind of a waking up. How can we extract maximum value and how can we um, yeah, move, uh, move forward in, in terms of, of efficiency? Yeah, but then obviously um, we have very uh, we, have, we have two content developments, and these are also things that we need to think about. And I think the technology sector is going to be very very interesting to look at, because um, over the last five to ten years, I asked myself this question: What comes after the TV? The TV was 
the the one of the biggest inventions i'm i'm not saying it's a good invention or um, personally i don't like um, this invention at all but um, it is we need to acknowledge that it was a very significant uh, invention to see uh, the television and yes we had the smartphone and social media etc etc but these are kind of born out of the idea of the television and uh, just brings the television in an interactive form yeah into your pocket and into your hands so um but we can we can uh, put those uh, inventions or innovations into one basket and think about them as as one or more or less one uh, if you want to really have this this bird eye view on all these things but what comes next so what is next i mean televisions haven't developed um over the, yeah the last couple of years well it was then a 2k uh, of uh, full hd hd then full hd then 2k and now 4k um, televisions but so what the resolution is getting better yeah this is what it's supposed to do so what is going to happen um, in the technology sector and we have seen this with uh, with developments around chat uh, gpt and uh, other artificial intelligence programs um, yes artificial intelligence is going to pick up pace it's going to replace a lot of processes it's going to um, be the next big thing yeah next to cloud computing because cloud computing uh, is kind of moving our whole workspaces and um, our whole uh, analog um, yeah economic conduct uh, onto online um, yeah, into an online environment and i think this is going to be the future for a lot of companies to do many of them uh, integrated it already so cloud computing and um, artificial intelligence are going to be major factors the problem with artificial intelligence is as with with all new inventions you know at first they will try to apply it to everything and will put it into everything and develop it to a point where you can almost use it in every scenario and then they will see that the quality um, is not going to be um, as good as yeah human work and uh, the human mind that is working about it um, and then they will then we will have uh, another crisis um, we will have another recession this is how all the life cycles of economies and the uh, conjunctures um, are working but nonetheless after that artificial intelligence is going to be more consolidated within global uh, within the global economy and therefore will bring um, much more value but um, this is just about yeah maybe in the next uh, 15 to, to 30 years um, this is going to happen what i'm what i'm telling you about it nonetheless uh, ai is going to stay here um, is it is going to be a major factor it's going to um, reshape how we think about economics how we consume uh, content how we create content and uh, yeah i'm very um, yeah I'm not, i wouldn't say skeptical but i'm very interested in how um, this is going to unfold but nonetheless this marks a break in um, yeah to the previous uh, way of of kind of um, acting behaving and uh, in, in in economies right the dynamics will fundamentally change through uh, the widespread application of artificial intelligence but then and this is the the final aspect why i think um, we are entering a new era is that kind of the symbiosis of old technologies and new technologies needs to be made 
Up until then, old uh, technologies prevailed, but in the last couple of years, we have forgotten that we also need factories, power plants, roads, infrastructure, etc., etc. Everyone looks at all the cool stuff that is going on with electric cars and um, yeah, hydrogen cars. Um, as I said, artificial intelligence, technologi uh, technological developments, etc., etc social media, gaming industry, and so on and so forth. But let's not forget that somebody or something is going to build all of these things and uh, needs to keep it together. And these are the old technologies. Yeah. The old school economy, if we want to say it like that, the heavy industry and so on and so forth. With the Ukraine uh, conflict, yeah, the, um, the weapon um, industry, uh, the war machine, is once again uh, very relevant. A couple of years ago, we would have said, we would have said, yeah, we don't need this and uh, weapons. We need to abandon, uh, abolish all the weapons, destroy them. You know, but today we are thinking about it differently because war and conflict is always an imminent threat, and now we have seen it. And I think the developments in these um, industries. Are also going to be quite inter interesting so what i want to say is that yes we are focusing on all the technology and all the developments and innovations that we can achieve there but on the other side we need to also think about how we can integrate all technologies and uh, develop them to be more efficient because if we think about electric vehicles because they supposedly uh, should stop climate change right a modern diesel car is producing less uh, emissions than the whole production process of one electric uh, vehicle and then in the end the batteries are thrown in the ocean or whatnot so um, it's not really a green way of, of uh, mobility um, as it is sold to us uh, over and over again so because the old technology of the diesel motor which back then obviously was not a very green technology, uh, to be fair, um, is today still not a green technology, but it's um, yeah incredibly more efficient in what it does and uh, with less harm to the environment, which is a great thing. So the integration is going to be interesting. And I don't think, for example, if we stick to the, to the electric uh, vehicles, that they will have a future. And I think we will move to hydrogen because... At that point, we will understand that all the batteries and all the resources that we need for the batteries is going to harm us more in the long term um, than uh, making now the switch to, to, to other innovations. But nonetheless, I think there's a lot of rethinking. And to wrap this up and sum this up, um, yes, we are entering a new economic era. We are going to focus more on production and supply. We are going to focus on a better balance on demand and supply. We are going to focus a lot of technologies and um, how they, um, in this early phase, are going to accelerate gro economic growth. Um, very important. Um, we haven't talked about the financial industry and, and the financial market, but I think they will readjust uh, also the investment policies and investment thinking into these directions and, and kind of award those companies that think about all these factors going into this new era. Um, and then finally, we also have to think how we integrate and, and uh, 
redefine old technologies, uh, improve them, and make them also part of our future plans to become um, yeah, ever-growing economies, becoming more prosperous, and also obviously developing um, yeah, meaningful uh, new innovations. So that's, uh, that's about it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it and that um, um, maybe you have uh, something to add or uh, you disagree on, on some points. Um, I would be very happy if you um, yeah, comment or send me an email um, or whichever way you want to reach out to me because I always enjoy uh, new input and, and discussing all these things. It is some kind of a prediction. It is kind of an open discussion. But um, yeah, these are my thoughts and takes on the economy in the coming years. Let's see how it turns out. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Until next time, take care and bye.